Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades on five continents, culminated his ministry with a 21-year, book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called a life study. This life study is the basis of our program today, which includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's life study. In his first letter to his young co-worker Timothy, the Apostle Paul, after his first imprisonment, encourages Timothy to war the good warfare for the faith against the situation of degradation that had set in among all the churches. In his letter, he firstly reconfirms the basic foundation of the truth, God's economy and the teaching of the apostles. Then he points Timothy and eventually all the brothers and sisters to prayer, the real solution for all the negative situations. Next, he addresses the sisters and admonishes them in much detail on how they must bear the burden for the church to be healthy. Bill Lawson is back with us after, uh, oh, not a lengthy, but uh, at least a notable absence. Bill, good to have you back. I know you've been traveling a lot. I appreciate your coming by. Yeah, it's good to be back. I've been away for about five or six weeks doing some traveling in Europe and Far East, and so it's good to be back. Bill, it's uh, good that we could get you back in this first uh, week of the Life Study of Timothy. One of the foundational books in the Life Study, I would say, of Witness Lee. It's a, a course of book that is not prominent in most people's consideration of the New Testament per se, though there are a few passages here and there that are familiar. But uh, really, I've been very impressed with these first few messages with regard to the context of this book. And uh, we tried to touch some of that in the opening here. There was a situation of decline that really took place about the time the apostle was uh, imprisoned and a real degradation was setting in among the churches. So Paul is quite uh, burdened here, isn't he, for the situation? Uh, Right, Chris. Uh, of course, most Christians, they don't spend that much time probably in books of Timothy. They may consider them like pastoral epistles or some uh, personal fellowship that Paul would have with his young co-worker Timothy. But there are many, many, like you say, foundational matters here that uh, Paul reconfirms to Timothy because we're in a situation here of degradation. Uh, many of the churches, of course, you know, Chris, that that the Lord raised up through Paul began to decline. There was heresy set in. A lot of problems came in. So Paul is very much burdened to give a word to his young co-worker, Timothy, on how to, or I should say, in a way, to inoculate Timothy right. against all of these errors and against these decline in the churches. So it's very, very beneficial for us to get into it. Interestingly, Bill, he does it in the way not of rebuke or uh, criticizing, but it's very positive. I mean, there's really some healthy ministry here. Uh, The recalibration right there in verses 3 and 4 that we have spent time on the last uh, three programs, really these verses about uh, not to teach different things, but to stay uh, centered and focused on God's economy, God's dispensation. This was his first uh, his first recommendation. Then the personal charge to Timothy to war the good warfare, really a, a kind of a stand up and fight kind of exhortation. And then uh, now what we come to today, this matter of prayer. And in any situation, any negative situation, 
prayer is really the key, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, uh, God's economy is central in the divine revelation. It's kind of buried there, hidden there. Some translations translate it godly edifying, and that's not that easy to define, but God's economy is much more clear. And then, as you say, Paul is burdened to charge Timothy with fighting a warfare right. because of the battle the, uh, waging there. The enemy is waging a warfare against the saints. And then, of course, you have Paul coming right in there charging Timothy the very first thing. How do you war the good for warfare? You don't do it with flesh and blood. Right. You do it by praying. Yeah. So this is not a, according to our human concept that we would fight the good fight and fight uh, a good warfare by charging the uh, brothers and sisters to pray. But this is the divine revelation. In his sequence, Paul first brings this matter of prayer to Timothy almost personally as one who has a kind of a leadership position, and by that it would be an example. Now today, in chapter 2, we've come to verse 8 where he really broadens it. It's not just Timothy or the leaders that need to pray, but Paul says in this verse, I desire therefore that men pray in every place lifting up holy hands without wrath and reasoning. In this uh, section we'll listen to, Bill, uh, Witness Lee will contrast this uh, phrase a little bit, pray in every place, with what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, where he says, praying at every time in spirit. So we are to pray in every place and to pray in every time. And those are not synonyms, as we're about to hear. Why don't we join Witness Lee? Paul's writing was in a very good sequence. After he charged Timothy to have a prayerful church life, he goes on to tell what can normal life the brothers and sisters in the church should have. In verse 8, Paul says, I will therefore that men pray in every place. Paul doesn't say pray as in Ephesians every time. But here he says pray in every place. The requirement to pray at every time is not so heavy as the requirement to pray at every place. Right. If you can pray at every place, surely you can pray at every time. But if you only can pray at every time, it may not be possible for you to pray at every place. You see the point? Now, we brothers as men must bear this burden to pray at every place. On the bus, on the plane, in the school, classroom, in your office, anywhere, and try to pray in the uh, movie theater. (laughs) Yeah. Try to play in the nightclub and try to play in the stadium with the ball game. Impossible. So don't be there. (laughs) 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 Don't be there because you can't pray there. Wherever you can pray, it's okay for you to be there. But wherever you cannot pray, Forget about that. That is not your place because you are a man. A man must be a praying one. So, dear saints, elders, we all must be such a pattern. Such a pattern. Taking the lead in prayer. Then you pave the way. 
that all the brothers will follow the trend of a prayerful life. The normal church life is for the brothers to pray at every place. Uh, really a healthy word here, Bill. You know, we may be able to pray in the morning and maybe again at noon and then before we uh, go to sleep at night. And in that sense, we can somewhat fulfill the requirement in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, but how about praying in every place? This is a harder test, isn't it? It's much more difficult because we find ourselves many times in environments where we realize, my, my spirit is being snuffed out here. Maybe I should not be here. (laughs) So to pray in every place is much more difficult to pray at every time. So it's interesting, in Ephesians it's at uh, every time, and uh, in First Timothy 2 it's in every place. Bill, Paul, uh, as I mentioned a moment ago, maybe you can come back to this point, we've got this degraded situation. It must have been very discouraging on one hand to the apostle, even those whom he had raised up, many were now forsaking him. Yet you don't get the flavor of bitterness. You don't even get the flavor of criticism in his writing. He is, it's, it seems to be something uh, coming forth out of a deep concern and a kind of a burden and how to recover them. And that's, uh, that's really the strong characteristic here, isn't it? Right. Timothy here, of course, was still there remaining in the church in Ephesus, and Paul charged him to stay there. The situation, Chris, was so degraded so much in apostasy that probably Paul was not able to write to the church directly because maybe even the leading ones there would not were not even receiving his ministry any longer. So he probably had to write two letters to Timothy to charge him so that eventually Timothy could remain there and begin to work with the saints who were open to receive Paul's ministry. And here, the first charge is the matter of prayer. So no doubt Paul realized the only way to reverse that degradation was contacting the the Lord in prayer in, in the realm of faith, or else you can't deal with the situation. Paul knew prayer was the only way to deal with God's enemy. Yeah, uh, we touched the matter of faith uh, a couple of days ago in the program. God's economy, it says, which is in faith. And faith uh, is, as we saw also, uh, related so closely to the matter of the conscience. And these things are just basic, foundational. No chance to recover this situation if Paul can't get the saints on this level. So by the Lord's uh, arrangement, there still at least remained this one Timothy who was faithful to him in his ministry that Paul could, uh, in a sense, kind of coordinate with here to to try to rescue the situation. Right. Paul realized he, he had a man, in a sense, like sold, like himself. Paul realized by uh, picking up Timothy and working with Timothy, infusing him and, and sharing with him that he was raising up a partner that could labor with him for the building up of the churches. And Paul was very much concerned for Timothy and their situation in Ephesus. So right away he brings uh, Timothy into this marvelous matter of prayer, uh, not just uh, kind of a general prayer, but even specific prayer. A couple of good modifiers in this verse that we're looking at, uh, uh, Bill, in verse 8, chapter 2. I desire, therefore, that men pray in every place, lifting up holy hands and without wrath and reasoning. How about we look at these items in this next section? In verse 8, you do have a good modifier. To pray everywhere, by what way? By lifting up. Lifting up what? 
Not lifting up your eyes to what? If you are going to pray at every place, you need to shut up your eyes. Don't watch over the elders. Keep your eyes watchful over the elders. Always kills your prayer life. You know what I mean. It disappoints you. Don't keep your eyes over the sisters. If you keep your eyes over the sisters, I tell you, that will kill your prayer life. Shut up the eyes, lifting up the hinds. What kind of hinds? A holy hinds. Hinds, in the Bible, signifies your doing, your working, your living, your daily life. You must have a daily life that is holy, that is sanctified, separated unto God. A life, a kind of a daily living that is absolutely for God. Then you have a holy hand, always ready for you to lift up in your prayer. This strengthens your prayer life. Then Paul says, without wrath. Wrath is something out of our emotion. And reasoning. Reasoning is something out of our mind. Whenever you get mad, you just cannot pray. Sometimes you need three days to recover your prayer. So, Learn the lesson not to be moody, not to get mad with anyone. You have to exercise a strict control by the Lord's grace in your spirit. Then don't reason. For the years, I myself been practice all the time. Don't reason. Don't turn your eyes. Shut up your eyes. Lift up your hands. No reasoning. <laughs> if you shut up your eyes, lift up, hallelujah, Amen. praise the Lord. Amen. No reason. I tell you, Paul was an experienced person. Whatever he wrote, it was based upon his experience. Bill, all three of these items, uh, the lifting up of uh, holy hands um, and keeping our eyes closed while we lift them up so that we uh, are not overcome with wrath and with reasonings, these have a very direct impact on our prayer life, don't they? They really do. Of course, we need to, like Paul says, uh, lift up holy hands. That means in our deportment, our conduct, our living, we just live Christ. We don't look at the natural things. We look at the heavenly. We look to the spiritual. We look at the divine things. And, uh, of course, he's charging the brothers here, right, in the church life without wrath and reasoning because mainly, you know, in the church yeah. life, uh, the brothers— uh, can get angry so quickly, and they can stay angry for a long time. And we know in our experience, once we get angry, something bothers us, a prayer is out the window, it's over. And then we are just even open to the enemy's work because we're out of the spirit, we're out of our human spirit. And then, of course, not just wrath, anger. Many times, things don't uh, cause us the anger and indignation to rise up, but different things happen where we don't agree with different things. You know, our mind builds up a 
case against a brother or builds up a case against other believers. The thought behind here is disputation, which is argument. This whole case that your mind builds up against others, mainly is not things, it's against other brothers and sisters. Once this happens, again, the prayer life is over. I think we've all experienced this kind of, let's go to the second one here, the reasonings, uh, which is, as you're now just talking, you build this case or this case gets built uh, in, in your mind and it does, it just quenches us. Uh, you know, it, it just closes the valve to prayer, almost any spiritual activity when we're in that condition. The other one, the matter of wrath and our temper, we've all experienced this as well, of course, and, and I think those of us who are married particularly can maybe have uh, you know, a wealth of experience here, negative experience from which to learn and maybe pass on. Uh, but it seems oftentimes when we lose our temper, if we lose our temper with our spouse, for example, uh, we may, after we've vetted and let the steam off, come back and uh, seek some sort of, you know, healing, reconciliation, perhaps, you know, apologize and gain a forgiveness. But we don't recover so quickly inwardly, it seems, from this, even though we may be forgiven. Sometimes even days go by, don't they, before we're really able to pray in a clear way again. Especially right, Chris, in the marital situations, because a husband and wife are together all the time. It's easy to offend. It's easy to run roughshod over one another. And then we think, well, no problem. I'll just confess a little bit and I'll just bounce right back. Well, many times it's not quite like that in our experience because the Lord really wants to show us, and sometimes he's quite severe, to show us, look, if you lose your temper, Mm -hmm. if you get into these disputations, I'm not going to be there with my presence that quickly. You have to learn a real lesson in life that when you get into these realms of anger and disputation that you're going to lose my presence and you may not be able to bounce back that quickly. So it's a serious lesson for us because once our prayer life is shut off, the supply, right? Wow. We know, Chris, for us mm-hmm, to exactly. live the Christian life, the supply for the husbands to love their wives, the supply for the wives to submit their husbands, that supply is cut off, yeah. and we are in a serious situation. In a sense, we are in degradation. That's what Paul is writing here. Without the prayer, we're in degradation. Well, this verse is really the first verse of a section that is about eight verses long, uh, really related to the saints, brothers and sisters in the church life, and how uh, they should conduct themselves. And it starts starts out uh, his desires that men pray. This is really referring to the brothers. The next seven verses in the section, all dealing with the sisters, we're going to just mainly focus on the next verse, uh, which has such a key point. That's verse 9. I'm going to read 9 and 10 because I think they go together well. Similarly, that the women adorn themselves in proper clothing with modesty and sobriety, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly clothing but what befits women, professing godly reverence by good works. This matter of modesty, we'll see, is really key. Here's Witness Lee once more. Have you noticed these section yourself, eight verses? Well, only one verse is assigned to the brothers. And seven assigned to the sisters. How many words the Apostle Paul used for you, sisters? I just have to say a few things. That is the matter of modesty. What is modesty, sisters? Modesty is the top female virtue. Modesty is a woman virtue that makes the females absolutely different from the males. According to Greek, Modesty means to be bound 
and made fast by an honorable shame, implying not forward or overbold, but moderate, observing the proprieties of a woman. If the females work in the offices always with modesty, I don't think the secretary will get involved with the boss. A female in the office easily get involved with a man just because no covering, no safeguardness to keep her distance from a man. If the females keep this all the time, I don't think there would be so much involvement between the men and the women today. In the church life, there should be such a thing. The way you sisters dress up yourself must be the principle of modesty, not to expose your physical body so much. You see the point? To expose your female bodies too much, that is against the principle of modesty. When you speak, you have to speak in a way to get yourself covered. All the time, you need somebody to be ahead covering you. Not only physically, even psychologically, ethically, morally, and spiritually. Don't get yourself exposed so much. Don't think this is kind of oriental teaching. No, no, no. This is in the Bible. Sisters, you always must wear a moral, ethical, and spiritual clothing that is called modesty. You need an overcoat of modesty. This is holy, and this is the top virtue of a female. Bill, really interesting in the uh, backdrop of this decline, this degradation. He has much burden regarding the sisters here, and particularly on this matter of modesty. This really has become a target of the enemy in the age we live in, hasn't it? Really so. No doubt Paul is very much burdened, of course, for the church in Ephesus where Timothy is remaining. And Paul knows how key the Christian sisters are in the church life. You may have a church where the brothers are somewhat prevailing, praying like Paul charges them, but you may have a situation where the sisters, or a good number of the Christian sisters there in the congregation, they are involved with things that lack modesty and sobriety. They are not that kind of persons. So the church life does not have a way to be built up, and there's no progress and look at the situation today. It's almost, Chris, like there's a complete breakdown in even American society about the matter of morality and ethics. And it really stems from this very charge that Paul charged Timothy with, that the sisters, especially the Christian sisters, they need to carry themselves, conduct themselves, dress properly. They shouldn't be too bold, overbearing, because if they do, they lose their position and they just lose the blessing. So this is a very, very serious thing for us in today's day and age. 
Well, all of these words from Paul to Timothy were, as we have said, uh, in an effort to kind of rescue the situation. To us, they become an inoculation and really a a safeguard because our situation needs uh, to be brought into the same kind of help and consideration, certainly, that the church in Ephesus did. Good to have you back, Bill, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to be together a number of times in these life studies of First and Second Timothy. Yeah, looking forward to it. Tomorrow, as we wrap up the first week, we're going to go on to chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, uh, and uh, see a little bit about the overseers and the deacons in the church and Paul's instruction to Timothy in that regard. So we hope you're with us for that. In the meantime, we invite you to call our toll-free number and uh, find out how you can receive the printed Life Study messages and the other materials we have at Living Stream. That number 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. For Bill Lawson and Chris White, thank you very much for listening today. Even though Christ is immeasurably great, He is available for us to experience. In order to fully enjoy and appreciate Christ, we need a revelation of His person and work, and especially of our union with Him in our regenerated human spirit. As believers, we can abide in Christ and live Him out in our daily experience by receiving the bountiful supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In the book, The Secret of Experiencing Christ, Witness Lee unveils practical points to enter into a genuine experience of Christ according to the divine revelation contained in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. The Secret of Experiencing Christ is available at Christian bookstores everywhere. Or you can order a copy from Living Stream Ministry by calling 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 1-888-543-3788.